0: Hello, and welcome to The Signal, Workplace NL's health and safety podcast. Workplace NL is the Workers' Compensation Board in Newfoundland and Labrador, Canada. The focus is to promote safe and healthy workplaces, provide return-to-work programs, and offer compensation to injured workers and their dependents. This series of podcasts will provide you with the latest information on how workplaces can protect the health and safety of workers. Please enjoy the show.
1: Hello and welcome to The Signal, Workplace WorkPlaceNL's health and safety podcast. I'm your host, Sherry Philpott, OHS educational consultant with Workplace WorkPlaceNL. Today I'm here with Colin LeGrow from Technical Rope and Rescue to discuss rescue planning and what that means for employers. Welcome to The Signal, Colin.
2: Thanks very much for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Uh, To start, how about you tell us a little bit about yourself? What is your experience with rescue planning and how did you get into this work?
2: Well, um... So I started Technical Rope and Rescue about 15 years ago. Uh, Prior to that, I actually started this business through the scuba diving industry. And that evolved into a bit of adventure tourism. That evolved into some industrial rigging and rope access type stuff. And there was a lot of transferable knowledge from uh, running scuba diving, night dive on a shipwreck uh, to confined space entries. In industry and throughout some of the rope access that I started out with through another company that evolved into doing my own thing so uh, really it all started from the scuba business and the transferable skills there that uh, you know many people wouldn't realize but like I say night dive on a shipwreck and a, and a day dive on a floating vessel <laughs> or a day <laughs> entry uh, there's a lot of similar things you got to be considered of right uh, and uh, I was also involved with the uh, Ground search and rescue as well, and uh, uh, got to see them and, and be part of uh, developing a high angle rescue team and helicopter rescue team,
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, and so that all that all turned into running my own business. So, okay, uh, it's been a bit of an exciting ride for sure.
1: That does sound pretty exciting, and then that stemmed into uh, running your own business based on rescue planning and and doing um, rescue for at risk work.
2: Yeah, so we do uh, basically our clients uh, whenever. Whenever they're trying to figure out uh, how do I get in there and do a job safely or how do I get up high and do a job safely, we'd like to be able to help them. So that's from a preventative point of view through their safety programs or from an emergency response contingency planning if something would be unfortunate enough to, uh, to go less than ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's basically what we do in a nutshell. It's work at height and confined space planning and emergency response, that sort of thing.
1: Okay. Yeah. Sounds like a very exciting job where you get to do a lot of different things.
2: It is. We find ourselves in uh, a lot of fun, different spots up on top of ship ma- ships masts, or inside penstocks, or down in the holes of vessels, or in tanks. It, it's an industrial adventure for sure. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about the um, rescue planning part. So the Newfoundland and Labrador OHS legislation (coughs) states that there are certain activities that require some rescue planning or to have something in place and should something happen while doing these high risk activities. Could you elaborate on when some of this is required?
2: One of such sections of the act and, and you could quote the section, but it's the emergency response risk assessment section it requires you to do a risk assessment where emergencies might take place and that's work at height, work in confined spaces or work around hazardous materials. Mm-hmm. And the first part of this whole rescue planning process is to conduct that risk assessment to determine, really, where could people get hurt on our job site? And uh, to do that, you really need to have a look back at you know near misses and incidents in the past and determine of all the places where people are working, or all the locations, how are we gonna get that person immediate life-preserving, life-saving first aid in, mm-hmm. in the event of a, a reasonably likely injury. Right. Um, and then, basically, you start from there. Okay. And then, of course, most of what people are tuning into these days, as far as the rescue planning goes, is work at height and working at confined spaces. Right. Uh, some of the larger industrial sites we have around do have a lot of hazmat issues, and uh, they're, they're taking on those as well.
1: Okay. So when you're looking at developing a rescue plan, what are some of the things that you should consider?
2: So really, to break it down to the basics in rescue planning, we need to identify where people are working and what are some of the reasonably likely incidents that may happen in those work areas. Consider some of those reasonably likely incidents, and then we need to first and foremost figure out how we're going to get first aid to that person Mm -hmm. in a a reasonable amount of time. Right. Which in today's world is pretty well right away. (laughs) (laughs) So we need to get them first aid right away. And then your rescuers, whether they be trained emergency responder types or their coworkers, we need to make sure there's a means to transport them from where they're injured to advanced medical attention. So mm-hmm. basically, on most job sites, that's going to be to get into the back of an ambulance, right? Really, and be transported off site. So that, in essence, is the basics of rescue planning. Uh, how are we going to get someone first aid? Then how are we going to transport them to an ambulance where they can be moved off site to advanced medical care?
1: Okay, and can you give us some examples of what you would put into a rescue plan for, say, working at heights?
2: So for working at heights and confined space, there's a lot of, a lot of similar things. Mm-hmm. Identifying roles and responsibilities of who's going to do what is very important. Right. Uh, so someone's going to need to take the lead. There's going to be people who are going to gather equipment. Uh, there's going to be someone who you know, meets an ambulance and facilitates Getting off-site services to the point of where an injury takes place. Mm -hmm. Identifying what equipment is needed uh, in order to be able to do this. Basic stuff. Where's the equipment stored? What equipment is required? Other things like communication procedures. Something could be as simple as, you know, are we communicating by phone or communicating by radio? And if so, what are the important phone numbers? What channels are we going to be on? Mm -hmm. Uh, Procedure to shut down other radio communication if there is an emergency response taking place. A great way to start the process of rescue planning is ask yourself at the end of the day what almost happened today. And if it did happen, what would we have done? So mm-hmm. we, we learn about toolbox talks and, and near misses all the time and you know, investigate your near miss and how do we prevent a near miss from happening again. Right. And another extension of that as far as rescue planning goes should be to ask yourself, well, if that near miss did happen, what would we have done? How would we have provided that person first aid and got them to an ambulance?
1: Okay. That's a really great idea. Um, I know that people aren't always talking about prevention and what to do or how to prevent it from happening again in the future, but we don't typically talk about the response side of it um, in terms of like, oh, this near miss happened and were we prepared to deal with it? Should it have happened? Um, so I, I really like that thinking.
2: Yeah, great. Thanks. We know that you know we're involved with prevention were involved in safeties and there is a huge prevention component to emergency response of course Mm -hmm. Uh, but we know things do still happen Yes. A- and in actual fact, uh, based on, we've been at this for a while now, and uh, thankfully, industrial accidents overall are going down. However, there are still health issues that are ha- happening at height and in confined spaces or in tower cranes or wherever, mm-hmm. and health issues need to be considered. Right. So I know there is initiatives ongoing about how do we focus on health and health and safety, and that certainly mm-hmm. is an important component of it.
1: What are some of the biggest gaps that you see in employer emergency? response plans?
2: As far as gaps, I think that risk assessment component really needs to be strengthened. So for instance, with regards to confined space, there's a lot of talk in the training. Well, we we can't rely on 911. We can't rely on municipal emergency responders. However, understanding how they impact your risk is important and they do still provide a a valuable service, but that service changes based on where you're at for Mm -hmm. your job. So a rooftop job in St. John's uh, has risks of someone having a medical incident on top of that roof. But we know in St. John's, we can rely on a municipal fire department to come and help with that. Right. And we can provide immediate first aid on the roof. Okay, There may be spots outside St. John's, there's many places outside St. John's where you can't rely on a municipal fire department to perform those services. There's lots of very well-trained ones, but understanding what the municipal fire department can offer is still very important. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the places you do have very valuable services, but some places, unfortunately, they they do change. So really understanding that risk assessment and understanding what contributes to accidents in the first place. Right. So when people jump into rescue planning, they're jumping right into, well, what's the fancy tricks I can put in play <laughs> to get someone out of a confined space or get someone down off a mast or a tower? But you really need to really look at, well, what's gonna contribute to those accidents in the first place? Mm-hmm. What are they gonna look like? And I'm not sure that safety person who's driving prevention mm-hmm. Uh, can do that alone. Someone really needs to have uh, a fresh eyes look at what accidents are happening. Right. The safety team is involved usually solely in prevention, preventing these accidents. Yeah. Someone with an experience on what accidents are going to happen, what are the potential and looking at drivers of accidents, like you know, do we have a whole lot of new people on this job? Is this a routine job, or is this something we do every day? Is there pressure due to timelines? And I know we try to alleviate all these concerns, but mm-hmm. the fact is, there are contributing factors to incidents. Yes. And in a rescue plan and an emergency response risk assessment needs to look at those contributing factors. Mm-hmm. We know throughout history that, you know, there's certain pressures, like I say, timelines, infrequent jobs, new maintenance, unfamiliar territory, a lot of new people, aging workforce, rotational shifts. Mm-hmm. All those things contribute to an incident frequency. Yes. And that's what we're looking at. So I think that's probably one of the biggest gaps uh, is that initial emergency response assessment. Until we know what accidents or incidents may take place, We don't really know how to rescue plan for them, and we don't know what's reasonable. Right. Uh, It's unreasonable to think that every small job site is going to have a fire truck and a (laughs) a trained NFPA emergency response team. So we need to take a reasonable look at what likely might happen, and let's start there, and then we'll improve things a whole lot. Okay. Another big gap, I think, is a rescue plan for a rescue team is one thing, but a company emergency response plan mm-hmm. is another. Right. And people need to understand what the differences are.
1: Okay. So on that point, what are some of the differences between a employer's emergency response plan and the rescue team plan?
2: So both of them need to go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. An employer's plan is going to be more of a worldly look at things. So who's going to call for offsite services? How do our communication procedures work or who is going to be part of the team? More holistic based on any accident or incident that can happen. What needs to go along with that though, are the details, the tactile, how are we going to move someone and Mm -hmm. the rescue team are basically, they're transporters. You're moving someone from a place of a predicament to a place of care. So we need to get the person care. So your rescue team, the guys who are trained to use ropes and tripods and that sort of stuff, Mm -hmm. they need to figure out more tactile on the ground things like anchor points, how long ropes need to be. You know, where are we going to, how are we going to set things up if things need to be set up or how, you know, sometimes it's okay to have things stored in bags nearby, sometimes based on the risk of the job such as painting some sort of hazardous welding in confined spaces, you may choose to have your gear set up on site. Mm-hmm. So that's the big difference. You right. you have to have both. Sometimes you see one or the other, and then you don't have the details on how to actually get the job done.
1: Right, yeah, okay. So
2: the details are, are important.
1: Absolutely. So when we're talking about a rescue plan and having dedicated rescuers, what is the typical training or the type of training that a rescuer would need?
2: So, that's a real loaded question and takes some time to kind of explain. So, rescue training right now in our regulations, there's no definitive guide to what rescue planning or rescue training looks like.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Rescue training needs to come from a very close relationship with the person, the, the company or organization that needs the training. Okay and the person or organization that's providing the training. There has to be an assessment to determine what needs are required mm-hmm. and then develop a training plan based on that. Sure. And that's what's typically happening. So training is specific because otherwise, to be honest, and, and this is a fear of mine. It has been since I started this business. It's something that I would like to improve on. Calling up an organization with a company, a person, your own internal provider, whatever it might be, calling up at someone and saying, I need rescue training for work at height mm. or confined space is the same thing as going in on a vehicle lot and saying, I need a vehicle. <laughs> so there might be someone that says, all right, I have a vehicle for you. It's ready on Thursday yep. and you can come in and pick it up. And I guess if you're willing to do that, you're probably not gonna get what you want though. No. Uh, there needs to be a consulting process to determine what the training needs are in order to put a package together. So then you're gonna look at the performance requirements or the actual sets of skills where the rescuers need Mm -hmm. and make sure that training covers all that. Okay. So the training provider and the employer needs to be involved in that discussion. If one or the other is missing, it's probably not gonna work. So that's where things typically are. Obviously I'd like to see some more standards bulked around the industrial training side of things. Mm-hmm. There is talks and there is a loose kind of way to read the regulations and that sort of thing about the NFPA requirements and how they relate to industrial rescue. Right. For most places, achieving NFPA-level responders for, say, routine work at height or work in confined space, it's a lofty goal, we'll say. But our take on it is if you are a professional responder, you need professional training and you need professional qualifications. Right. The way we look at it is if you're paid to do the job, Where you're going to respond to people outside your organization, or your job is to respond to people in your organization on your job site, then training should follow NFPA qualifications, and and Mm. providers should have NFPA qualifications. Okay. That right now is the only standard that really fits the bill. Otherwise, you're coming up with a course between, like I said, the the provider and the organization that fits the needs. So I'm not sure it's, it's overly achievable to go anything beyond that for when you, you know, to get someone down off a rooftop, for instance, we can train that in, a, in probably as little as a day, day and a half mm-hmm. uh, to get someone down off the side of a roof here in St. John's. Right. However, if we're talking about an NFPA emergency response team, an NFPA certified emergency response team, that could take, you know, two to six weeks, depending on what they're, what they're learning, plus fire training, plus first aid training. So... Mm-hmm. Probably, if you added it all up, you'd be in the eight, ten weeks of training. Right. That's, that's not going to be productive to solving some of the immediate needs that we have, which is how do we get someone down from a fall arrest harness, how do mm-hmm. we get someone down from a, or uh, out of a simple confined space, when a tripod, a winch, and a self-attracting lifeline might do.
1: Okay. Um, so, as an employer, when should you consider bringing in uh, an emergency response team or someone external from your your organization?
2: Again, it's, it's really back to that risk assessment. Mm-hmm. So what we see when a company is going to consider bringing in an outside organization, mm-hmm. uh, they're going to get into high-risk, non-routine jobs that require a lot more employee resources than normal. And there's usually a time pressure on that. So it's shutdown times. It's, uh, you know, periodic maintenance. It's quick, uh, you know, when machinery breaks down and it needs to be fixed in a hurry. <laughs> mm-hmm. there, there are typically times when, Outside resources are brought in, and again, it comes down to, do you need professional responders in this case, or is this a case of a work team working together, helping each other, Mm -hmm. is one level of risk where maybe an effective but lesser amount of training is required, and really a work team is helping each other solve a problem or get out of a predicament. Right. Uh, the flip side of that is, are certain individuals required to respond to other work teams? So now you're taking on a, a lot more liability, but this is where it becomes to, is it your job now to respond to others? Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it's your job to respond to others, you want professional responders. Right. We use the analogy, if you feel it's important enough to call an ambulance, even if you have bleeding, some mm-hmm. level of bleeding, but if you feel it's important enough to call an ambulance, you want paramedics to show up. You want trained professionals. Yeah flip side of that is someone with a two-day standard first aid course can probably stop bleeding, but that's not who you want showing up in an ambulance, right? right? You want professional trained responders if you are relying on someone else. So that's where we divide up our two major thresholds as far as our considerations for training and risk. Mm -hmm. Do we have work teams responding to each other and helping each other out? Or do we have individuals having to respond to others? And if you're responding to others, Well, you need to look at those professional qualifications, and we also, you know, that's where you might want to think, if you don't have those professional qualifications, then bring in an outside agency, because it is quite an endeavor to get everyone trained to the qualifications they should be uh, to provide, again, a professional service.
1: Right. Okay, well, thank you, Colin, for sitting down with me today. We had a great conversation about rescue planning and what that means for employers. The overall message that I hope you take away from this podcast is that when you're looking at rescue planning, it's important to start with the risk assessment first. It's important to think about what you're planning for as opposed to just getting into the developing plans. If you guys have any questions or if you guys wanted to reach out and have a conversation with Colin, you certainly can.
2: Okay, you can reach us at 709 335 2325. Or email is info at trr.ca, and you can reach me any of those ways. I'd be happy to answer any of your questions.
1: Perfect. Um, I know you are speaking at the Analosha conference coming up. I know it's a it's a joint presentation with one of our managers, Jane uses so I don't know if you want to plug that for us.
2: Yeah, awesome. We're, we're excited for that. Jane and I have known each other for years, and we're going to be talking about confined space rescue, uh, some of the jargon, some of the pitfalls, um, some of the ways people just get tangled up in complexities when you can really do this really simply. Uh, or we'll talk about when you need more complex uh, rescues and, and rescue capability. Uh, and we're going to do some demonstrations with some rescue kits. So uh, we're really hoping that that uh, we'll have a good turnout for that.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you again for joining me today. Um, and for our audience, I hope that you enjoyed our conversation. So please join us again for our next episode of The Signal, and have a safe day.
0: Thank you for joining us today. Transcripts are available to use in your workplace to increase workers' knowledge in various occupational health and safety topics. Visit WorkplaceNL.ca for more information on the services we provide to workplaces. Feel free to share the signal on social media to improve workplace health and safety everywhere. Thank you and have a safe and healthy day.